Travels with John Smith Chapter 31 Year 4, 2014-2015 to New Year's on Ice I am standing in the middle of the stage with my guitar. There are about 15 children standing to my right, kindergarten to grade 3, ready to sing Jingle Bells. I strum a couple bars. They look back, and I nod for them to start. They start singing, and I lose my place almost immediately. So I wait until I recognize where we are. Then I start again, play a couple of bad notes, stop again, get where we are, and so on. Luckily, they did not seem to notice my terrible playing and kept belting out the song regardless and they are only singing one verse and a chorus, so it's over quickly. I feel so ashamed I have let them down. John is down in the audience, filming the whole thing, and the audience is full of students, some of whom know I can sing, but many have never heard me play the guitar, so it is very embarrassing. I hope this is a dream and I will wake up soon. Nope, this is really happening. I return to my seat, hoping to hide my shame in the darkness of the theater. John tells me the microphone that was meant to be picking up my guitar wasn't working, so no one could hear me. I have never been so grateful for technology not working. This is meant to be the Christmas concert, but there are only a couple of students and counselors that do actual Christmas songs. Mostly, it's a chance to perform, so most of the kids are doing traditional Chinese songs and skits that are entertaining, but not much to do with Christmas. It's a couple of weeks before Christmas, and we are having our staff party in the Grace Garden Hotel, where we take over the bar to do the usual gift exchange game, and I am invited to sing the Christmas song I wrote last year. Shane sings and plays it with me, making it a more funky experience. Some of us sing a few more songs, including some Christmas songs, and it's a good night. It is Christmas Day, and we are laying on beach chairs on a private beach in 30-degree weather. We are back in Sanya, China's Hawaii, for a short four-day holiday. There is a flurry of activity around us, women stopping to try and sell us pearl necklaces. They have a plastic necklace they scrape with a knife to show us what the fake ones look like. They also often use lighters to light the real ones to show us they are real. I'm not sure why they do this, but I have noticed they use this trick with all sorts of products. Other women have large straw baskets full of mangoes and other fruit hanging from each side of a large stick they hold across their shoulders. There are small scooter-sized food trucks selling spicy breads and others selling coconuts they will slice open with large hatchets in front of you to provide you with a refreshing drink. There are families burying their children or parents up to their necks in sand. There are people doing tai chi on the beach, 
and other people watching under the large grass umbrellas. Most are Chinese, but among them there are a few Russians smoking and talking, and a couple of American or Canadian girls wearing Santa hats with their bathing suits. I am listening to Hark the Herald Angels Sing by the a cappella group, the Pentatonics, while looking at this scene, and it's a little surreal. John is stretched out like a happy cat in the warm sun. It is Christmas night, and we are sitting outside, surrounded by palm trees and a large swimming pool, eating turkey with mashed potatoes and gravy. There is a troop of Chinese girls dressed in Santa costumes with short skirts, doing their best at singing Christmas carols. They unenthusiastically kick their legs from one side to the other to attempt a dance routine, and they do not sound happy at all, especially on songs like Santa Claus is Coming to Town. So it's a little painful to watch. There is also a Filipino band with two girl singers and a guy on keyboard guitar that have been hired to to play the event that have been told to join in the leg-kicking part of this show, which is embarrassing for them, as they don't have their microphones with them, and since they can actually sing, we are not sure why they aren't the ones doing the singing. Maybe the manager of the place wanted to get his money's worth. I am grateful I am not playing that kind of gig. My Christmas fiasco doesn't feel so bad now. The turkey is good, and I am with my handsome husband, so I'm happy. We go back to the room after dinner to watch the Christmas movies on TV, so we get a Christmas experience with the added bonus of being somewhere warm. We go to an Italian restaurant we discovered last time we were in Sanya, thanks to Steve and Nancy. The food is excellent, equal to being in Italy, because it is made by a real Italian chef. A foreign family come in and sit on the terrace not far from us. The parents and the little girl go to the washroom, and the boy, who is about nine or ten, is left alone, so he starts talking to us, telling us all kinds of things about his parents, including the fact that they are living in Shanghai. I want to ask him if he knows our friends Natasha and her son, Zach, who lived in Wuhan last year. I decide not to ask, since there are 20 million people, including lots of foreigners, in Shanghai, so it's a long shot. The mother comes back and joins in the conversation, and we tell her we are from Wuhan. She looks at her son and says, that's where Natasha and Zach lived last year. My mouth drops open and I say, did you just say Natasha and Zach? It turns out that they are also teachers working working with Natasha and and Zach has hung out with the boy a few times. Small world. We have a few days of good food, sunshine and relaxation in Sanya, the farthest south we could go in China, and we are not ready to come back to work but we don our winter-down jackets and fly back to Wuhan to face the three days of school. 
Next week, we will go to Harbin, one of the most northern places in China. It is just after midnight on New Year's Eve, and we have paid to climb to the top of an ice castle. We get to the top and realize it is a bobsled ride. I swallow my fear and get on. They give me a push and I am flying, screaming all the way without dignity. I don't even want to think about any safety measures there might be on this track. We are in China, after all. They don't sweat the details. I survive, and we see some guys selling lanterns to send into the sky, so we buy one, make a wish for the new year, and watch it disappear into the sky. We walk down on the river where there are some a few smaller ice sculptures as the entire thing is frozen over. There are some small tea shacks, one that has a karaoke outside, and there are some drunken revelers singing loudly off-key. It is about 20 or 30 below zero Celsius, but feels more like 40 or 50 below with a stinging wind. We have long johns under our jeans, two layers of down jackets under a wool coat, hats that cover our ears, two layers of gloves and thick wool wool socks inside of our Uggs, and we still feel the cold. Every time I take a picture, the tips of my fingers hurt with being frozen. My phone dies even though the battery is almost full, as the phone cannot take the cold. So I charge it with my portable charger, enough to take a couple of pictures, then put it away until I can warm my fingers up inside my mittens. Our flight arrived just before midnight, so we were still in the taxi when the driver turned around and wished us Happy New Year. We passed a few large ice sculptures along the wall, all of them lit from below and... Each time we were awed by the beauty and the size of them. We are here a little early for the annual ice festival, but many of the sculptures are already made. We take long walks and our attention is pulled from one gorgeous ice sculpture to the next, lining the streets in the center of the city, some of which are being made as we pass. They use tools like electric saws and on the biggest blocks of clear blue ice and an array of chisels and forks to create fine detail. They are all stunning. We notice that even here there are groups of retired people dancing outside in the cold in the same way as they do all over China, in perfect time with each other to music coming out of a beatbox. It is a couple days later, and we are in an igloo. John is drinking a blueberry wine, and I am taking pictures of the fantastic booths made of ice with some furry cloth on the seats so your bum isn't cold and you don't slide off them. It is an ice bar, and it is inside the Ice and Snow Exhibition Park in Harbin, which houses the most beautiful buildings and sculptures made from snow and ice in the world. Bold statement, but I'm sure it's true. We are dressed warmly for this, as we know we will be outside for a while. 
We booked a cab for the day as we were told they are difficult to get here. We were told by a Chinese woman in our hotel not to pay him until the end of the day as she, her husband, and small child paid their taxi in advance and when they came out of the park, he was gone. It is a long way back to the hotel and we don't see any taxis in the parking lot, so we hope he will wait for us. I don't even want to think about that possibility. He has taken us round to large underground markets and has waited for us there each time, so we think we'll be okay. My phone dies after a few pictures outside, so I rely on John with his camera to take the rest. He doesn't have to take his gloves off to take pictures, so this is better anyway. Everywhere we look, there is something breathtakingly beautiful. There is a four- or five-story castle with a winding staircase that we climb to the top. There's cloth on the steps here, too, and the patches that are worn through to the ice are very slippery. We walk along the upper wall, where you would shoot people from if this was Lord of the Rings. From here, you can see the whole park, which is lit up at night with lights that change color and add to the magical quality of the structures that fill the park. There are detailed sculptures made from snow, like giant sheep and people and penguins and faces, and they look like white marble sculptures until you are close, and you know this is ephemeral. We are seeing something that will not be here, in a few months. All the work that goes into creating these magnificent pieces of art, and it will be gone, but the light and fantasy of it will live on in our hearts. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a kid to, and see this. It is truly a bucket list moment. There are a couple of heated buildings inside the park with food courts and tables and chairs, but it is very packed in there, so we mostly stay outside. Despite sheepskin fingerless gloves, inside wool-lined mittens, my fingers are painfully cold and my toes have begun to hurt too, so we decide to go. There's a vendor in front of the exit. They are everywhere here, selling candied hawthorns on a stick I think I've mentioned my hawthorn addiction, the pressed dried fruit candies. This version is kind of like a candied apple, but they are like small red crab apples, candied and placed in a row on a skewer, about six of them. We are leaving tomorrow, so I lapse and eat it in the taxi on the way back to the hotel. Harbin is an interesting city, even without the ice cream exhibition. It is close to Russia, so there is a lot of Russian architecture, including a kind of Russian village on the other side of the river from where we are staying. It's like walking around the streets of Russia, not China. We read that the Chinese are now a little sick of the Russians and that they would probably assume we were Russian, as they do in Sanya, where there are many Russians holidaying. But it doesn't happen. In fact, we don't see many Russians or foreigners at all. 
There are, however, many Russian hats and dolls and foods in the tourist shops, so it adds another point of interest to the city. Maudien has shut down for a couple of months, and as this has happened with many other of the little street markets or cafes we liked that never opened again, we feared it might be the case here too. But it has now opened up again. It's Friday night and we are in Maudien with Gabby, Jerry and the kids. We eat at the market and walk to the square behind the market where there are always lots of people in the evenings. There are three large groups of women dancing to three different songs. The Chinese love loud sound systems blasting out music or announcements. Gabby and a couple girls join the women and try to follow along. We walk to a place behind the square where there are about 20 pool tables outside and some computers inside. This is where the students go when they skip out of school. We hang out there and before walking home. Every Saturday, she brings two pails of water outside and she washes her car. Her son, who's about seven years old, practices his kung fu moves and sometimes joins in the fun of making the car look shiny and new. Our bicycles are tethered to a pole behind her car and they have gathered about two years of Wuhan dust and grime, apart from the seats which are wiped when we take them for a spin. Saturday is wash day, so there are blankets and carpets hanging from balconies or on fences, basketball courts, and makeshift clotheslines. Through the window of the cafeteria, the shadows of some of the students who are stuck in the school for the weekend are moving around the cafeteria, eating their breakfasts of noodles or rice and vegetables or dumplings. Others who have already eaten have climbed the steps to the third floor where the gym is and are climbing through the window with a basketball under one arm. Around 9 a.m., the people from the school shop pass the flattened boxes out the side window to a couple who load a truck and take them away. Their small son plays around the truck until they have piled the flattened boxes about three meters high, when he and his mother perch on top, holding on tight, while they drive up the hill and out the gate. The grandmothers and sometimes grandfathers or fathers of the small children who populate our campus come out, smiling and walking patiently around with, with the babies in their arms or toddling beside them. These are some of the scenes I see from our kitchen window as I make some tea or do the dishes on Saturday morning. I'm on my way to Guanggu on my own today for a pampering day of beauty parlors and a bit of shopping. Our favorite driver, Zhang, teaches me Chinese all the way there. He doesn't speak any English at all, but is very patient and tries to understand our Chinese. We always have a laugh trying to communicate, and I have a little book and copy everything down, but whether I remember it is another matter. I learn how to say I don't have a good memory, as it's true, and also my defense for being so lame. 
That said, I am much better, and I now recognize words and know what they mean, so I guess I'm making progress. I can't remember if I said it uh, in the last update, but I have been taken the bull by the horns and have been taking the odd lesson from Betty. She's the secretary in our department, but has a degree in linguistics or something like that, and has been a translator in the past. I often have to cancel, though, when we get too busy with marking, etc., but she's been helping with some of the things I might need to say, like shopping for vegetables, etc. It is an end-of-the-world day today. The sky is white with smog, but the sun is trying to break through. It has been quite warm lately. The day we got back from Harbin, it was 18 degrees. I have taken down the Christmas decorations that didn't really get a lot of use, and 2015 feels like it has truly started. John and I will go for a walk to our favorite food market of the moment. We walk along the road beside the muddy mess of construction on the road to the school and under a highway to get there. Under some tall new high-rises, we go past people living in makeshift houses, like those temporary offices on work sites. These are small and have up to six bunk beds inside, with people's clothes hanging beside the beds or outside on the wire fence. On cold evenings, we see people in bed early, as there is nowhere apart from outside for them to hang out. Most are on mobile phones, their connection to the modern world. The houses straddle a ditch, and I'm not sure where they go to the toilet, but would guess it has something to do with the ditch. There is a large square plastic container, about a quarter of the size of one of the sleeping quarters, that has a tap on the side of it, and I have seen a woman carry water from there to the living spaces. We've had our water cut off for 10 hours at a time at the school a couple of times this year, and we thought our conditions were dire. These people live like this all the time. One of the tin buildings appears to be the makeshift kitchen, and under a nearby tunnel, someone has built a fire inside the bottom half of an old oil can. It is usually smoldering as we walk past, and there are blankets near it, where someone may be sitting for warmth when it is a cold day, or slept there if the little shacks are full. It is a kind of shanty town, but a reality for many people who leave the countryside to come and find work in the city. It is, however, better than the tents we have seen some people living in, sometimes with small children, next to muddy, noisy work sites. Despite these conditions, we see women dressed like people would dress to go to work in a shop, making food and tea for the men who are outside playing cards in the sun. They eye us up as we walk past on the path right in front of their doors, and we always smile and say, Ni hao! They usually respond with a smile, and one day a man smiled back and said, How are you? in English, and we laughed and said, Good! with a thumbs up for him.
He grinned and went inside with his friends laughing. We imagined he would be the king of the castle that evening and his friends would be saying, wow, you can speak English, even if that's all he could say. The market we like is in a long long tin-covered building with a cement floor that is open at both ends, like a big warehouse. There are many stalls of vegetables and fruit down the middle and meat and fish stalls at one end and clothing and food stands at the other. Since it is all open under the roof on a cold day, it is colder in there than outside. Some of the stalls have tofu, others noodles or dumplings, but the one we like is a hole-in-the-wall restaurant that has the best kung pao chicken or gong bao jiding we've ever had. We usually order that and John's favorite sweet and sour chicken, tong suliji. The woman who runs the place is Bao Pei. Her husband is the cook, and he says hello, ni hao, but is always busy in the back, flames shooting up at the back wall as he makes one delicious dish at a time. Their daughter is a teenager, and she helps out when she's not doing her homework, and she has a little brother who likes to get up to no good with his buddies, but also looks serious when he's doing his homework. Sometimes he will bring his buddies over to our table and they laugh and look at us with curiosity or talk at us for a bit until they realize we can only understand and answer a few of their questions. Bao Pei is very patient and tries to understand our Chinese and we love her for that. Next week we will invigilate and mark final exams for this semester. After that, we will have two weeks of the new semester until the winter break, which is only four weeks this year instead of five weeks we had in previous years. I'm sure no one is feeling sorry for us that we had a week taken away, apparently so we wouldn't have as many working Saturdays. We would have preferred the the odd long weekend so we could see more of China without using up the other holidays as well, but oh well, you can't always get what you want. Our plan is still to travel to Canada and see our mothers and go for a side trip to Mexico. Mm-hmm.